Good morning, everybody. As much as the enemy wants to distract and disturb, God's got big plans for every one of our lives. And, and we'll walk in that. I, I know that this morning I, I do believe there's stuff to try and disturb and distract. But God is, God is victorious. Um, so, just, just praying this morning, I, I do feel God wants to speak to individuals. And, and maybe during the service, I might be saying something and the Holy Spirit's saying something else. You might need to turn me down a little bit. Um, and, and as, as the Holy Spirit speaks, just be open to what God's saying because God wants to speak to you. God's looking for every opportunity He can to speak to us and we just need to be listening. So we are in week three of our, our, our identity series. And the goal of the series is to get the truth of who God says we are from our heads to our hearts. So that it's not just information out there, but it's something that we truly believe. It's foundational to who we are. We can go through our whole lives believing lies and nonsense that other people have spoken over us and who the the enemy has spoken over us instead of walking in the absolute truth of who God says we are. So what we want to do is we want the lies to disappear and we want the truth of God's word to hold true so that we actually go into the future God has for us. John 8, verse 31 and 32 says this. Oh, wow. You can, <laughs> well, you can see when, you, when people are taking notes, right? John 8 and everyone's heads go down. <laughs> if you haven't got a, a pen, um, it's too late. Sorry. Uh, at the desk. John 8, verse 31, 32. Jesus said to the people who believed in him. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. And you, know, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And in John 14, verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So how do we get free from all the confusion and nonsense going around in the world about our identities? Is we need to hear the truth. And then Jesus doesn't just say, hey, look, I've got an idea. I've got some truth for you. He says, I am the truth. Not I have the truth. I am the truth. In other words, the closer we get to Jesus, the more we we get to know Jesus. And essentially, the more we get to know ourselves. Lies dissolve. And this will be on the screen. You don't need to. I mean, we're not even in my today's plan yet. Lies dissolve in the light of God's presence, yet manifest in his absence. So you may believe stuff about your life that's absolutely the furthest thing from the truth. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more those lies will be highlighted so that you can walk free of them and walk in the truth of God's word. But the more we distance ourselves or stay away from God, the the more the lies begin to manifest and hold us. Before we even get into today's message, I want to remind you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are designed and planned by God Almighty to be in this place, in this time. As believers, we are made in the image of God. Right now, you sitting there, you are made in the image of God. You you represent who He is, right? And that's amazing. It's a huge privilege. It's And then God says that we are called to be like stars that shine in the universe. You are shining with the light of God's glory. As, and God is as committed to seeing His presence shine through our lives as we are committed to allowing it to happen. If you are absolutely sold out about putting Jesus Christ first, then God will radiate through your life. And people will meet you, but they will see Him, which is what it's all about. We are not our past. 
I'm going to say this, and I want you to hear this, and I want you to understand this and take this to heart, because these are lies that we understand in our heads, but we don't take to our hearts. We are not our past. We are not our mistakes. We are not the lies that we believe. We are not who other people say we are, unless it's in line with the word of God. We are not who the devil says we are. We are who God says we are. And when we understand that and have that revelation, we find purpose and freedom. You are who God says you are. You are not your mistakes. You are not your past. Today, if you're taking notes, we are going to be on page 8. So if you've already written half a page of information. Um, page 8 of our identity books. And regarding the books, I just want to say this. In the book, there's a, a, a daily devotion. And you might be in the room and you're thinking, I haven't even opened the book yet. Truth is timeless. So don't think, well, it's too late for me. I've kind of missed it. You might not have even started yet. But I encourage you, when you get a chance, open your heart, open your book and say, Lord Jesus, please speak to me about who I am and start reading the book. So you might be three weeks behind already, but that's fine. Get to the truth. Open the book and read it. The title for today's message is, I am a servant. He is my master. Can any of you think of a culture on earth where the main goal is to be a servant? Where someone asks, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you're like, oh, well, I want to serve people. <laughs> like That's my ambition in life. I just want to serve people. If anything, most cultures promote the idea of us being the master and being in control. We are the masters of our own destiny. I am the boss of my own future. And if people were stacked into a big pile, then our goal is to get to the top of the pile no matter what it costs. We want to climb to the top. And then when we're at the top, we feel like we're in control of our lives because now I'm in authority. With a master at the top and the servants at the bottom. And then the kingdom of God invades earth and flips everything upside down and puts it the right way around. And God calls us and identifies us as servants. And this is something that cultures programmed our minds to believe. Well, this is not very exciting to, to come to church to be told I'm a servant. Yet it's the identity of God spoken over our lives. And it comes with incredible privileges, which we'll talk about now. Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament was at the top of the food chain in life. This guy, he, his name was Saul, and he was, he was doing very, very well in life. And he was at the top of his class, and he was accomplished, and he was successful. And then Jesus revealed himself to Paul. And from that moment, with confidence, Paul describes himself as a servant of Christ. And then he repeats it again and again, more than ten times in Scripture, just some of them. Romans 1 verse 1. Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Identity, servant. Function, apostle. Not, oh, look, he's a, an apostle. He starts off the introduction. Who are you? I'm a servant of God. And my function is to apostle. Philippians 1 verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servant, Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3 verse 7. I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. All of us are servants. Every one of us in this room, we are a servant. And we like the illusion of control. But the truth is we don't have it. The only form of control we should have is self-control. And at the end of the day, we are all slaves or servants to something. Our appetites, our desires, our insecurities, our egos, our culture, and so on. 
And when we think that we are the masters, we are slaves to deception. We are not the masters of this world. We are not even the masters of our own destiny. We can influence it, but Jesus Christ is the master. And when we recognize his role and our role, then all of a sudden life starts going as it should. doesn't mean it's all wonderful and peaceful and everything it goes according to our plan, but it goes according to his plan and we are servants of God. We need the grace of God to embrace the gift of God, which is to serve God. I've got completely, this is, I mean, I was thinking about it. <laughs> I've got a video. I think it's completely off the rail, bit of a rabbit trail, but we'll watch it anyway. It kind of semi-builds into my next point, but it's, it's good. So we'll, we'll watch the video. Have we got the video? Some of, I've shown this before, so a lot of you will know it. Some might not. I, I know it's not Mother's Day. <laughs> moms are awesome. Um, they, moms are awesome. Uh, except my mother did phone me at, I think, what, quarter past six this morning. <laughs> I was like, it's really early. Um, the reason I shared that, and I, I know that it's not Mother's Day, is because in Scripture, there is a mother who has two sons, and she absolutely loves her sons. You can see mothers love their kids sacrificially. It's ab- absolutely an outstanding quality to have. And her two sons, obviously, if she's a mother, and if you were a mother to your kids, you want the very, very, very best for your children. Right? That's what we want as parents. And then this lady has two sons who also happen to be two of the boys or men that Jesus called to be his disciples. So she thought to herself, what would a mother want for her boys that are walking with Jesus? So she recognized Jesus as this man of authority. So she approached him and asked him that her sons will sit with him at the head of the table. Like, I want, I want the very best for my boys, so therefore they need to, you know, put them in places of honor. Put these boys in charge. Why? Because mother knows best. Right? And this is how the story goes. Matthew 20, verse 21. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? Your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. When the other disciples heard about this, they were kind of upset by that. right? So this mother's thinking, I know what's best. This is a very significant, he's an important man, so therefore I want my sons to sit on his right and his left. So this mother is talking to God incarnate, the king of kings, the leader of leaders, creator and sustainer and ruler of the universe. And this is how Jesus, God Almighty, responds to this mother's request. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you, the NRA says, whoever wants to be great among you, must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you, must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. As parents, one of the greatest gifts that we can give our children is not raise them to be served. Instead, raise them to serve. If we were God, if we were God, like think about it, how we would respond if we were God. Would we display our godly authority by reaching down into our creation, a cruel, unappreciative people that we know will try to torture and kill us and then serve them and love them and wash their feet before being tortured and dying only so that we can save them? 
In today's culture, we are brought up to believe that greatness is to have people serving us. Yet Jesus describes greatness as those that choose to serve his purpose, not our own. Jesus sees serving as promotion, not demotion. And we go into a culture now that says you need to climb the ladder and get to the top and have people serving you. And Jesus comes and turns that upside down and he says, imagine having a heart to serve all the people around you instead of being served. In actual fact, to actively serve instead of looking to be served gives us access to incredible spiritual blessings. It's amazing. I've had people come to the church and... And then I offer them tea or coffee or something like that. And then, and then they're like, okay, and I go and make tea or coffee for whoever. And then afterwards they go, oh, what? You're the pastor. Can't believe it because now it's something as, you know, the pastor's not meant, the, the pastor's meant to serve you. And I do appreciate those that, that make me tea and coffee sometimes. But it's amazing how even in the church culture, people see it almost as this hierarchy with the pastor at the top and then everyone else must serve. No, no, no. We must demonstrate a life of serving. Am I with you? Are you with me? (laughs) And following on from the course notes, there are four points that we'll discuss today. These are four things that happen when you serve. And if you're in the room today and you're thinking, Lord Jesus, soften my heart. Help me to be your servant. Help me to serve in your kingdom. These are four things that will happen. When we serve God, we have access to his plans, his protection, his provision, and his praise. We have access, first of all, to God's plans. Paula gave a great word to the leaders the other night. So often we make plans and we even feel that they are God's plans. And maybe they start off being God's plans, yet then we soldier on to get them done, yet we don't pay attention to God's voice along the way. So God says, go and do this. And then the illustration she gave was Abraham being called to sacrifice Isaac. And then he heard God. So therefore, he's going to go do what God does. And then if he had carried on and not paid attentive to what God was saying, he would have made an absolutely terrible mistake. So sometimes God speaks. And our goal in serving him is to stay attentive to his plans. Otherwise, we run ahead with our own plans. And then we wonder, God starts, carries on speaking, but we stop listening because we are trying to get the job done. So through faith, God gives us one piece of the puzzle, and he highlights just one piece at a time. And when we serve him, the picture becomes clearer and clearer. I'm going to say this. When we serve ourselves and we're all about us, then the picture becomes more and more difficult to understand. But as soon as we start to live for Jesus Christ and serve his purpose, all of a sudden, there starts to become clarity to the picture. Is my whole preach up there? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, that's meant to be one at a time. You guys are really taking notes. I was wondering, why is everyone writing so much? I'm trying to stick to the course notes here, but um, our heart isn't to ask God to bless our plans and then discover, but, but rather to discover God's plans because they are already blessed and then have access to those plans through serving him. So many of us go through our life saying, this is my plan, Lord, please bless it. Instead of, Lord, what's your plan because it's already blessed, help me to walk in it. It's massively different. In scripture, there's a young lady named Mary. And I'm sure you've all heard of Mary. It is the mother of Jesus. And this angel appears to Mary. And, she, and, and what happens is he just gives her a little piece of the puzzle. Look, this is, just, this, is a, this is a little picture into your immediate future. You know, metaphorically speaking. Here's a puzzle piece. And the Holy Spirit, and this is what he says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. 
There will be no man involved. You will give birth to a son and he will be the savior of the world. And then she asks a question to get a bit of clarity because this must be absolutely terrifying and confusing and overwhelming and scary. Yet um, she must have had way more questions than answers. But God says, this is what I want you to do. And this is her response. And Lord, may it be the response of the people in, in this room, all of our hearts. And Mary said, behold... I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Often when God calls us to something, we don't say, Oh, absolutely, Lord, no problem. I'll get it done. Often what happens is the identity gap we have from the lies to the truth need to line up before we start walking in faith and obedience to God. Until then, we seem to have a massive list of excuses and reasons and um, justifiable obstacles and for not walking in the will of God for our lives. And when Jesus says, when you start serving me and when you start putting me first and when you recognize that I'm the master and you are not the master, then all of a sudden the puzzle starts to come together and we start understanding the picture. And so often, then people start getting a bit of clarity and off they go on their own way again. And God wants us to come back to him because when we serve him, he reveals his plans. So when he speaks... What he says may sound completely ludicrous and impossible until the fog of deception goes and we realize that we can trust God. You can absolutely trust God, even if he's telling you to do something that seems radical. I don't have the whole puzzle. I just have a little piece of the puzzle, but I know who's building this puzzle. He is the author and perfecter. Therefore, I will trust him. How many of us are so convinced that we know what's best for our lives? And that we want to be in the driver's seat of our lives until we find ourselves in the bushes somewhere and we think, how did I get here? Why? Because we were serving our own plans, not God's. And then we're like, Lord, please take the wheel. It's like a two or three year old standing on the seat of the car. And saying, look, I think I have a pretty good understanding of how the world works now. Give me the keys. (laughs) I want to drive from now on. And then we're like, yeah, yeah, sure. You be the driver. Too many of us want to be in the steering, want to hold the steering wheel and be the driver of our own lives. And God is saying today, surrender and trust me. Rather than God serving my will, Lord, help me to serve yours. Because my will is flawed, sinful, selfish, and your plans for me are good and perfect. Not always easy and not what we'd always expect, but they are good. From now on, Lord, I am not the master. You are the master and I am serving you. You be the master. Lord, you take the wheel and no more excuses. Oh, well, I can't really commit to church because of the following and I can't really read my Bible because of the following and I can't really connect to community because of the following. And when we serve God, two things happen. When God is the master, this is sticking to Steve Wimble's preach notes. Number one is relief. Because so often we feel like we have to have life all figured out and we have to know all the answers and we have to know what the next step is and how we're going to get there and what the plan is and how it's going to work. And sometimes when we just say, Lord, I have nothing but surrender. Lord, please, you be in control. And all of a sudden, a sense of relief. I don't have to carry my future because it's in God's hands. And how many of us would like a little bit of the pressure of life to be lifted off us because at the moment we're living our own way? And the second thing is joy. When we put God first, then joy is something that we walk into. Otherwise, what we do is we chase joy and it keeps moving from us because actually joy is found in Christ, not away from Him. When we are willing to serve, God is willing to work. 
Okay, number two, and you've already written down my whole preach, so I'll just talk it through with you. Number two is we have access. Go back. All the people to the left. What bam boogie. Go back. Guys on the slides, could you go, did you go back? Either you guys are writing very slowly. According to the teenagers, it's my fault. Okay. Um, have you finished? Video. I'm going to take a seat. Call me when you're done. Um, okay, I'm not. <laughs> Moving on. Number two. We have access to his protection. In 2 Samuel 10. And I love the Old Testament. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of the whole Bible. But the Old Testament just, it's, it's gritty. And in 2 Samuel 10, there's a story about the Ammonite king. He passes away. And when the Ammonite king passes away, his, son's ta- his son takes over as the king of the Ammonites. So what David does is he wants to pay tribute and he wants to honor the Ammonite king. So he sends a bunch of ambassadors or delegates and he sends them to the new king. And he says, go and pay tribute to them. Like, go and share our condolences because they've gone through loss. And then what happens is when they get there, the new king's advisors say, Who's, who, David is sending advisors to come share condolences. Nonsense. He's here to spy out the land. So what this king does is he takes the advice of the people around him and they shave off half of the beards of the ambassadors, which is a sign of saying, we absolutely ridicule, mock, and disgrace you. So they shave off half their beards. They cut up their clothes to shame them and expose them and make them uncomfortable. And then what they do is they send them back to David. <clears throat> so David says, he's a, you know, he says to his men, they send a message to say, look, this is what we look like. This is what we're going through. This is awful. So David says, stay in Jericho. You stay there. And wait for your beards to grow back. Then the Ammonites hear that they have become a bit of a stink in David's nostrils. Because they have treated his servants very badly. So what the Syrians, they now, okay, well David's upset with us. So what they do is they, uh, sorry, the Ammonites get hold of the Syrians and they hire soldiers. Tens of thousands of soldiers. So David thinks, okay, first of all you mock and ridicule and insult my ambassadors. Then you raise up an army against me. So what David does is he speaks to Job, the general of his army. Then he speaks to his mighty men, who are absolutely the most hardcore people, you know, on earth. And then he sends his whole army, and he goes and he gives the Syrian and Ammonites an absolute hiding. He basically cleans them off the map, right? The point is this. They got a, they got a bully beat down. The point is, I want to say it right. When we serve the king, we get the king's protection. When we serve the king, we get the king's protection. To pick on the king's ambassadors is to pick on the king. So when we go in the name of Jesus Christ, representing his call and his purpose for our lives, and something comes against us, be it demonic realm or people, then what happens is as they pick on us, they pick on the one who sent us. And God steps up and says, if you are my servant and I am your master, then you carry my protection. Thank God for that. This is very important. So David was a king. 
and one of the greatest kings to ever live. And he was a man of great authority. And this is not going to be on the notes, but if you have any desire to have any authority at any stage, listen to this. We can't be in authority unless we are under authority. Aspiring leaders, those that feel like they want to count for something. And David understood this. We cannot be in authority unless we are under authority. A lot of people don't want to be under authority. They want to be the boss. I'll come to the church. I'll love the church. I'll do what the church wants until they disagree with me. And then I'm the boss of my own destiny. I want to be in authority, but not under authority. Makes it very hard to lead people. We want to be the boss. Yet how we handle being under authority is a display of how we will handle authority. Does that make sense? So David, a man of great authority, still recognized that he needed to be under authority. Psalm 32 verse 7. He says this. This is David's heart. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. Even David, the king, he still had advisors and he still had prophets and he still had people that were able to speak into his life. And yes, he made mistakes and he did terrible things, but his heart was open to hear God and be under authority. Therefore, when they spoke to him, he was able to repent and he was able to walk out the plan of God. We cannot be in authority unless we are under authority. But the point number two, when we serve the king, we have the king's protection. Point number three, we have access to his provision. Oh, your hand's getting cramp. <laughs> Kayla's book is like so neat and got colors and all. Um, so we have, oh wow, nice. Um, so we have access, the next one is to his provision. There was this man that I absolutely, uh, he was just a, a great mentor, great leader. He's, he's since passed away and he's with Jesus uh, he was just an incredible man of God. And I remember at his memorial, I, I sat there and there were uh, probably a couple um, hundred other pastors alone, never mind people. There were, you know, it was, a, it was a huge thing. He was a man of great influence. And I remember at, at the memorial, it was so honoring because the way they were describing him was like he lived his life to serve Jesus. It was like they were describing Jesus when they were talking about him because he was such a God-honoring man. And when it comes to provision, this is what he always used to say. I know, I know these things are cheesy and cliche, but these were things he would just say. He would say, where God guards, God provides. God's will, God's bill. God's way, God's pay, all right? When we are serving the plans and purposes of God, then God will underwrite the cost. When we are the servant and he is the master, then he will provide for us and make sure that we are taken care of. When Jesus called the disciples, they left everything they knew, their businesses, their understanding, they left everything, and they must have had so many questions, this incredible privilege to follow this amazing man, the Messiah. And as they served the master, they saw what Jesus did. He multiplied fish and loaves. God can multiply the little you have, and he can multiply. He provided for them to pay their taxes. It's like, oh, but that's separate from the Lord. No, no, the Lord cares about every detail. He provided for them. He calmed the storms when they were going to go down and when they were stressing out, he calmed the storms. He provided forgiveness when they messed up. Everything we need, not just money, is found in the relationship and presence of Jesus Christ. 
when we are his servants and he is our master, then he provides all our needs. All we need to do is seek first the king and the kingdom and all these other things will be added to us. Instead of saying, these are my plans, this is my budget, Lord, please bless it, but I'm going to go my own way. (laughs) Okay, it's quiet. My will, my bill, my way, my pay. Or, Lord, you be the master. From now on, I'm going to do it your way. And please take care of me because I am your servant. You are my master. Um, so is it, is, it too, is it just the heat or is it something I said? I'm sticking to Steve's notes here. So guys, if you've got stones to throw. Um, no, I'm just joking. This is amazing. <laughs> Jesus isn't sitting, sitting in heaven going, Oh, I never saw inflation coming. I, never, I wasn't prepared for that. Matthew 6 verse 25. A word from the Lord to all of us. A timeless word. That is why I tell you, do not worry about your everyday life. I'm your servant, you my master. Stop worrying so much. God's got you through, he will get you through again, he will provide, even though right now you might feel you're standing at the Dead Sea and there's no way forward or the Red Sea, God will make a way. Matthew 6 verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. And lastly, we have access to his praise. There are people in our church that serve sacrificially. They get here early. They put these chairs out. It's a school hall. They put the stage out. They bring the the equipment through. They set up the urns and tables. And there's lots going on that we maybe don't even appreciate. But when we remember who we are serving and why we are serving, it gives us the perseverance to continue. Um, I spoke about Paul earlier. He went from being... Born against Christians to being a born again Christian. So it was a radical shift. Paul fell hard. He was the master of his own life and that led him to a place of absolute brokenness. Yet God raised him up. Not to be this amazing gentleman, but to be a servant. And as he was a servant of the Lord, God did amazing things with his life. From the master of his own destiny, top of the food chain, in charge, Then he has a revelation of God. And this is what he says. This is what God said of him. To him, sorry. Acts 26, 16. Now get to your feet. Because Paul has, he's had a revelation of Jesus and he's fallen down. For I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. All your accolades, gone. You are now my servant. Tell people that you have seen me. And tell them what I will show you in the future. So Paul went from confidently persecuting Christians to being comfortable to be persecuted as a Christian because he had a revelation of who he was, a servant of the King of Kings. He was beaten, and this part really can twist our theology because I think if I'm serving God, then surely I will walk through every good thing and nothing bad will ever touch me. This man was wholeheartedly devoted to serving Jesus and he was beaten, whipped, tortured, shipwrecked, bullied, mocked, imprisoned. At one time, they they threw rocks at Paul. They threw so many rocks at him, they were stoning him. <laughs> so I always get careful of how I phrase that. Um, so um, they, they threw rocks at Paul, so many that they beat him to death. They thought he was dead. Then Paul somehow manages to not die. And what does he do? He gets up, goes back into the town of the people that were stoning him to death, and he starts and he continues to preach the gospel. Why? Because he knew who he was doing it for. 
He lived for the... You are the master, Lord. And if you take me and I walk a road that I don't want to walk, I trust you, Lord. You are my master. It's not what I wanted. It's not the easiest road. It's not the, what I would have chosen, but I'm not master. And years later, Paul's old and he's got this son, Timothy, that he's raised up. And he says this, 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Not only, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. How was Paul able to go through such torture and torment? And such a difficult space. Because he recognized that his crown was from the Lord. And when Jesus says something, it's more valuable than the whole world's, um, what's called, rewards. One day, we will all stand before lived for to hear these words. Matthew 25, verse 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. Not well done, good and faithful leader. Well done, good and faithful pastor. Well done, good and faithful king. Well done, good and faithful business mogul. Well done, good and faithful servant. When we serve the king, we walk in the king's plans. We get the king's provision. We get the king's protection. And we get the king's praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. There is no greater honor. There is no greater honor than being able to stand before God. And he says, well done, my servant. It's, it means that you've lived your life well. Uh, but I want to be the leader. Then serve people. Serve people. What we're going to do now, by the way, I, this, uh, we can, let me pray. For the people watching online. Lord Jesus, I pray that, that if we've had this illusion that we are the masters and that you serve our plans and other people must serve our plans, I thank you, Jesus, that you put things in order. We are here to serve your purpose and your plan. Help us, Lord Jesus, not to make idols of anything. Whether it's our children or money or comfort, I thank you, Lord Jesus. That you be our master and we serve you. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we won't look for platform or pedestal or profile. If anything, Lord Jesus, our heart's desire will be, Lord, you be lifted up. Use my life to show off your glory. I thank you, Lord, that as a church, we will serve each other. We will love each other. It won't be about... Who can get served, but who can serve? Thank you, Lord, for those that do serve, whether it's in the church or in their workplace or at home. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we will know that we do it for an audience of one. When we serve you, the reward comes from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.